This is an RNZ podcast. It, it just didn't work for me because my whole social network is on Facebook and is on Instagram, which Facebook bought, and is on WhatsApp, which Facebook bought. Um, so I was really finding that I wasn't often able to find an alternative for these services. So it became both about their dominance, but also whether we can yeah, control the flow of our own information. That was New York Times technology correspondent Kashmir Hill on RNZ's 9 to noon last Tuesday, talking about her experiment to show just how much the tech giants control the digital world we interact with. Going cold turkey on big tech convinced Kashmir Hill the pervasive presence of those companies' products has been messing up her life personally. Meanwhile, others overseas have been warning they've also been messing up our democracy. Because it's not just in the US that the reach of platforms such as Facebook make it ideal for anyone who wants to reach people with political messages, many of which are misleading. I honestly never thought I would be campaigning here in the UK to establish the primacy of truth. If we are going to be asked to cast our vote on the basis of lies, then democracy is in trouble. Hang on a minute. Did that already happen? It was Dorothy Byrne, the head of news at the UK broadcaster Channel 4, speaking last weekend to the great and good of the British media at the annual McTaggart Lecture in Edinburgh. Dorothy Byrne went on to say she genuinely fears now that in the next UK election there will be too little proper democratic debate and scrutiny to enable voters to make informed decisions. And she said that's partly because politicians now routinely bypass the news media and the possibility of scrutiny to send messages directly to people via social media. Now, these messages are targeted at specific citizens according to what their digital data says about them. Carol Cadwallader is the journalist who exposed how British political consultancy Cambridge Analytica illegally harvested the personal data of millions of Facebook users for political advertising. And she was on RNZ National last Sunday speaking in even stronger terms about social media as a threat to democracy. And it is not about left or right or leave or remain or Trump or not. It's about whether it's actually possible to have a free and fair election ever again. Because as it stands, I don't think it is. Now there, in the TED Radio Hour, Carol Cadwallader was speaking directly to the top dogs of tech and challenging them to fix what they've broken. In the US and the UK, they've had highly controversial public votes in recent years, won by narrow margins, in which voters were influenced by misinformation injected straight into their social media feeds by third parties and even other countries who paid online platforms like Facebook a fortune to do it. In that McTaggart lecture in Edinburgh, Channel 4's Dorothy Byrne said the politicians carry on doing this once the polls close. Boris Johnson has been proclaimed by Downing Street as the first social media PM. On taking office, he recorded a jolly statement. So much more fun than being grilled by Emily Maitlis or Jon Snow. It reminded me of something, and at first I couldn't think what it was. And then it came to me. (laughs) This great flag-bearer for democracy, Vladimir Putin who also likes to directly speak to the nation. As soon as he got the job as leader last month, Boris Johnson and his party poured content and money into more than 500 Facebook ads linked to a survey on the Conservative Party website where people were asked for their names, postcodes and email addresses, which were all likely to end up in a database for future election campaign advertising. 
Now here, both Labour and National have already copied the big British political party's tactics in the past, as Media Watch discovered three years ago. And shortly, we'll be asking if all this could be coming to an election near you in 2020. But first, some journalists have been warning us all this past week we should look at what happened in an election closer to home this year. Australia's recent election campaign had more aggressively targeted online ads in it than ever before, with lots of contradictory claims and counterclaims on social media. And last month, Stuff Political reporter Thomas Coughlin reported that National thinks it's got a winning formula from its counterparts across the Tasman. Sources within the party say Bridges' meeting in Sydney in July with Australian PM Scott Morrison changed the party's political messaging to be closer to that which brought Morrison victory in May. They think Morrison's formula of near-constant mini-video ads helped secure the embattled Liberals an unlikely return to power. And last weekend, Stuff Political reporter Henry Cook reported that our political parties are already running many more Facebook ads than usual. At one point recently, he said, National had 14 ads running at once, including a campaign against Associate Transport Minister Julianne Genta and her proposal to make electric vehicles cheaper and gas guzzlers more costly in the future. Now, these ads echoed Liberal Party ones in the Australian election, which claimed, falsely as it turned out, that the Australian Labour Party was going to tax your ute, and two of those National Party ads here will be investigated by the Advertising Standards Authority for being potentially misleading. Now, the governing parties are into this stuff online as well. Labour personally criticised the National Party leader's commitment to climate change in an online ad campaign of its own, and the Greens were forced to scrap and apologise for a much more florid attack ad, which began like this. Oh, look, do you like cars? I like cars. Come on down to Simon's Imports and check out these low, low prices that I've got on these climate-friendly cars. And last Tuesday, Stuff reporter Henry Cook asked Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern if we now need to brace for many more negative political online ads. I withhold my judgement yet on uh, whether or not we'll see some of the practices from overseas in New Zealand, but I think the general public in New Zealand like to see politics done um, in in a way that's clean. And that's not an answer that's a commitment to a clean online campaign. And TVNZ's Q&A show last Monday said they were convinced it was going to get dirty. With a year to go before our general election, political observers are warning voters to prepare for some dirty politics. The battle for votes is increasingly being fought online. And we've discovered New Zealanders are already being targeted with some of the less than transparent tactics seen overseas. Here's Fena Owen. Like never before, National is churning out the attack ads on social media. Already, its campaign machine is in full throttle. They've probably made the calculation they're not going to win by going positive. That was the voice of Thomas Pryor, who Q&A described like this. Government relations advisor Thomas Pryor worked with the Brexit Remain camp in London. He's observed firsthand a new style of campaigning in the digital age. Government relations advisor means lobbyist or voice for hire in plain English and Thomas Pryor has been one of those for the Bankers Association and tobacco company Philip Morris in recent years. And this is the kind of online ad he said we can expect from our political parties. 
I think what we're going to see is, is parties here uh, modelling themselves in some way on what we first saw in the um, EU referendum, where you can get out a bold claim uh, that may not necessarily be 100% true and be confident in the fact that it's, it's a strong enough claim that it will stick in voters' minds. And even if down the track it's, it's disproven or you have to correct it slightly or it's challenged by your competitors, it's almost too late. Later, Q&A asked the National Party election campaign manager Paula Bennett if her party is micro-targeting ads like Scott Morrison's Liberals and their Kiwi strategists across the Tasman. As people know, we've been um, talking to the Liberals about their campaign that was incredibly effective. Um, you know, uh, not, not everything's original in politics. And now New Zealand Labour is accused of copying National, who's been copying the Libs. I think they should come up with something a little more original and just kind of copying and pasting from ours and trying to put their own spin on it. And Q&A's report wound up with lobbyist Thomas Pryor again, warning us all to be extra sceptical next year. It's really contingent upon all of us as voters to be to be cautious, actually, and to realise that, that you know information we see online cannot necessarily be trusted. This election in particular is going to be at the forefront and, um, and we're all going to have to you know, approach with care. Well, good to have that kind of warning from a lobbyist who knows the tactics. But what Q&A didn't say was what was in place to take down any dodgy political ads online or prevent them from going out in the first place, if anything. Q&A just left the issue there until the end of the show, where another lobbyist on the programme as a pundit, Matthew Hooten, said that this kind of campaigning was not really a big deal. This is just shock horror, there's a new technology. Mm. You know, people would have said the same when TV started, when radio started, whenever. What, it's it's what, not transparent, though, isn't it? It I mean, never was. The, the problem it is, never that, was. But, but the problem is, I mean, we, when, it's, when it's on television, if it's a television ad or it's someone no, no, in, in an interview, that. for example, yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone can see that. But, but when, it's, when it's isolated to a certain person's Facebook timeline... And what used to happen is when parties wanted to distribute information or, or misinformation mm. to particular uh, voters, their MPs would go around the country and have private meetings with party supporters and other interest groups and, and say things which may or may not be true and spread information through mm. the community that way. If anything, this is more transparent mm. than that. I think there's a whole lot of paranoia about this new technology. There's no magic about this. Anyone with a Facebook page can, can click on boost um, post mm. and choose the people they want to talk to. Um, you know, this right. is the way of the future. Well, it may be the future, but it's also a tactic that's right here, right now. In the Stuff Papers last weekend, reporter Henry Cook pointed out that misleading political ads can go out on Facebook and then finish their run long before a regulator like the Advertising Standards Authority can even assess it. But he also said Facebook has a new transparency tool for political advertising, which is in use overseas, but none of our parties have signed up to it yet. The Ad Library Report is mandatory in several countries during election campaigns, and it allows the public to track every ad that a political party or issue group puts out on the platform to see how much money is being spent and who the ad is targeting. Now, that tool has been available to our political party leaders since June, but most of them reacted with surprise when Henry Cook asked them about it. And one of those was Jacinda Ardern in his video interview last Tuesday. Oh, well, we haven't made a decision not to. That's the first thing I'd say. In fact, I was just reading about the new policy over the weekend. I think it's, you know, a really uh, interesting idea. Um, what, at the moment, we're just looking at is how does that then interface with our, our, our current transparency rules? But we should absolutely look at it because I think the more that we can do to encourage transparency, that's a good thing. Another issue about the anticipated upswing of paid political ads in election year 2020 is that you will have helped pay for some of them. 
In 2017, the electoral law changed to allow political parties to spend more of their own money on online ads, as well as about three-quarters of a million dollars previously earmarked by the Electoral Commission for opening and closing addresses on TV and radio. At the time, politicians welcomed this. Here's Labour's Chris Hipkins, for example, then in opposition, supporting the change in Parliament in early 2017. It's also sensible to allow parties to use their um, allocation to pay for advertising on the internet. That's just keeping up with technology, so I welcome those provisions. Now back then, Chris Hipkins was more worried about the cashed-up parties overspending than misleading ads circulating online with impunity. And the media, interestingly, broadly backed this move at the time as well. In an opinion piece last weekend for Stuff, political reporter Henry Cook said that stopping the kind of misinformation in those overseas elections is now a job for politicians, the regulators and the journalists together. But what is it they need to do on our behalf? Are you convinced, do you think we're going to see, because we've seen it in these other elections in Australia, um, the UK, US, etc., we are going to see uh, a bunch of online political ads, some of them misleading because they're so partisan, pouring into our social media feeds, and it will be a significant factor? I think um, political reporters all over the world have learned not to predict the future <laughs> in the last couple of years. Uh, that said, I, I think we will definitely see a lot more online advertising with selection just because people have more knowledge of how the platforms work now um, and they're clearly very effective. I mean, we have quite politi- different political culture to um, the United States and the United Kingdom even. Um, Australia, we're a little bit closer. Uh, the National Party have also kind of directly mentioned them as an influence on their strategy for next year. People get very upset about ads very easily. I think I think you have to kind of be clear what the difference is between misleading, like active misinformation stuff, and, and regular old political spin, which we might not like, but we can accept as a legitimate you know, political communication strategy. Sure, but we're already seeing, and you and other reporters have identified it, haven't you, a ramping up of online, you know, several ads on one topic, variants of them popped out in social media on things like uh, the proposed policy on electric and... Uh, and yeah, environmentally friendly vehicles. So that that one's been a very big topic for the National Party, which is interesting because they haven't made it as much of a topic in, in the House or through kind of regular media channels. Um, but, which is, but this is the sort of thing we can expect, you think, from all political parties as we move closer to an election? I mean, different, different parties will have different advertising strategies, and being in government, you are naturally probably kind of less on the attack, usually. I think there'll be plenty of negative ads to, to go. Now, on the uh, Q&A show uh, this week's edition, uh, Matthew Hooten appeared as a pundit. He said, look, there's a lot of paranoia about this political advertising that's kind of economical with the truth because it's partisan. Um, isn't much different from, he said, look, at you know, some sort of tub-thumping party official or candidate attending a local meeting um, and blurting out stuff in, in public to give the party a boost. You know, has he got a point there? Um, meetings back in the day, you, you could, you know, A-B test a meeting within 20 minutes and then flooded out to hundreds of thousands of people in kind of geographically dis- disparate communities uh, qu- quite so quite so efficiently or quite quite know exactly how things are working quite so well. I think, I think um, meetings are also at some level somewhat more transparent. Um, people know who's speaking when they see them in a meeting. Yeah, and they're open to challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and in your piece uh, this week, Henry, you wrote about uh, the Facebook uh, ad library report uh, um, a transparency tool uh, which gives you details about uh, the ads posted on Facebook by groups that agree to sign up to this tool. If political parties did adopt it, 
Uh, I certainly hadn't heard of it until you wrote about it, actually. <laughs> Looks like some of the parties weren't aware of it either when you asked them. But if they adopted it, what extra transparency would we all get? So it's not it's not everything. You know, we're not going to see what they see when they put the ads up, as, as great as that would, that would be. Um, if, if they did sign up, then we would see a rough band of how much money they spent, not not a perfect you know, um, dollar amount, because uh, that's commercially sensitive to some level, and um, some kind of rough demographic targeting. So we'd see, you know, if they were targeting males 25 to 30 on this ad, maybe males in Wellington. We wouldn't see quite the level of, of targeting that Facebook can actually do, which is more like males who like this band, uh, who live in this subsection of Wellington, blah, blah, blah. But it would still be a lot more than we currently get. Currently, post, um, post kind of all the kerfuffle of 2016, we can go on and see what ads a party is running. Um, it used to be that you couldn't see an ad that a party was running unless you specifically saw it in your own feed. So that was really, we were really in the dark then. Mm. Now at least we can, you know, journalists and, and other interested people can go and, and, and check out all the different variants of an ad that a party is running. Yeah, so you see where the ad is shown. There's actually a little table. They'll show you how many men is against women, age groups and so on. They'll break it down for you like that. It's, 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 to be honest, I, 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 it's not as clear as I would like because uh, it's, a, it's, it's mandatory in other states, but it's not mandatory in New Zealand Yet. They, they say this, they've only made it mandatory in, in countries that have kind of impending elections. Uh, we we haven't got a guarantee that it will, will come before the next election here. We might not be a large enough market for that to be um, kind of a priority. Uh, once the Green Party have, have agreed to sign up to it, um, kind of after I asked them about it. So I guess we'll, we'll have a better idea of what exactly the report will show then. One of the, one of the very useful things that is part of it is a... Um, this is somewhat nerdy, an, an API. So journalists can basically create little programs to scrape all the ads um, and kind of put them into their own databases and play with them, which will be, I guess, very useful next year. Yeah, interestingly, I went back to have a look at the last election. Um, Tracy Watkins, who was then the political editor at Stuff, uh, she um, wrote about this, said 2017 could be the Facebook election. And she said Facebook have been pitching to politicians here uh, promising to help parties build email lists, raise money and activate people to support their campaigns. It also pitches its ability to track undecided voters and promises the ability to scale to get uh, get out your vote, uh, sending alerts, notifications, reminding people that it's time to vote. Um, so that shows, I guess, that Facebook were pretty active in wanting to tell our politicians what, what they could do three years ago. I mean, three years later, have things moved on? Is it, is it more sophisticated or more a heavy kind of pitching effort than that? I think following, I mean, 2017 was following 2016, but it was still kind of um, not everything was at all out. It was the 2016 US election. Mm. They, the 2016 US election, I think they came under a little bit of um, scrutiny for embedding people in campaigns who were kind of there to craft messages with the um, politicians on both sides to, to get the most reach and stuff. I think that so that, Facebook embedded people? Yeah, Facebook embedded people. I think, I think I, not just Facebook as well. I think, I think Google and Twitter too to, to, to beat up on Facebook solely. Now, you wrote in your piece, uh, media companies the world over have to take on some responsibility for the ads on their platforms. Facebook scales no excuse for it to avoid this completely. It doesn't have to vet every ad as it comes in, you said, but it should be able to respond promptly to complaints about blatantly false advertising. But does anyone have the power to make Facebook or, or any other platform do this as things stand? The Electoral Commission has oversight over basically whether you declare who you are properly. So if you put up an ad, um, you know, if Labour puts up an ad, if I don't say it's authorised by Jacinda Ardern, Parliament Buildings, Wellington, um, then the Electoral Commission 
uh, can legally, you know, get you to remove the ad, and and they can basically tell whoever is broadcasting it to do that. So they can they can tell Facebook to do that. Um, and Facebook has kind of relationships with them and with the um, Advertising Standards Authority. Although the Advertising Standards Authority don't actually have any kind of literal legal power to force ads to be taken down. Facebook really only pays serious attention to regulators in um, in the United States in terms of its overall behaviour, but it will attempt to. Uh, meet local regulations where it's not too troublesome for them. And Mark Zuckerberg, in fact, wants to be regulated on this. He doesn't want to be into the messy business of telling truth from fact in political advertising. He wants a regulator to tell him what to do, and then he'll be happy to do it, basically. Um, I think that's a bit of an application of responsibility. I mean, you know, we run political ads in, in our newspapers and our website, uh, but if someone called up, um, you know, the Don Post and said they wanted to run an ad that said um, uh, something that was just blatantly false we would not run it or would query it at least. There is a level of responsibility that you take on as a publisher. I think if a user complains and says, hey, this ad is misleading, Facebook have a duty to have someone kind of look at the basic facts of it and say, no, this is this is wrong or oh, no, this is, you know, spin, but fine. Well, a couple of national uh, party ads about that fee-bait car policy are now actually being considered by the Advertising Standards Authority. Uh, recently, we had John Tamahiri, candidate for mm. Mayor of Auckland, had one of his ads... Uh, had to be taken off off the radio um, and other versions online, I think, because uh, it made false claims about policy of his his um, opponent. So how can the regulator, you think, respond in election campaign 2020 to the challenge of the short-run Facebook ad campaigns? It might only last a couple of days. They're gone before anyone can really react. I think speed is speed is key. Um, we shouldn't let misinformation kind of run rampant. Uh, and, and I think that the ASA did, did set up a, a rapid response team last time, and I think that's kind of tradition, and that's more of like a 48 hours rather than a regular two weeks kind of thing. This, this, the sad thing is 48 hours is, is too slow, often with online advertising. Um, 48 hours is kind of an eternity in an election. I, I think we, we, we can't rely too much on regulators, though. One reason is because we don't want to overdo it and regulate political speech. In a, in a serious way. I mean, if you're not lying, you should be able to say what you like about politics in New Zealand. So the best, but the best thing to do is, I mean, it's it's very old school. It's very um, kind of self-glorifying for media. But I think sunlight is the best disinfectant of the stuff. Journalists just need to watch what's going on here. They need to treat political advertising as a legitimate topic, a legitimate story. If they know the media are looking closely, I think the parties won't be as as rough. Well, in 2017, Henry, um, electoral law changed, and that allowed political parties to spend more of their own money on online ads, but also sums that have been allocated to uh, the broadcast of those opening and closing addresses, that's now um, been made available to the parties to, to do their own advertising. The media said that's a good idea. They didn't think the addresses were great. The political parties didn't want them either. But have we then arrived at a situation where the public is now kind of subsidising or funding this form of Facebook advertising for the parties to spend where... It's not open to the same scrutiny as a as a broadcast, and actually, these potentially dodgy and election swinging ads, such as we've seen overseas, we're actually bankrolling them more than we were before. Yeah, you, you, there's a good question there, but I think yes, there will be probably some money from the taxpayer going to these Facebook ads. I guess the corollary of that, the, the you know the opposite of that, is that we have not none of taxpayer funding, and then the parties that get the most donors are best able to exploit the stuff. Um, they they already are at some to some degree, but. Uh, if you if you extend that too much, I think then you you let parties that are more likely to get more funding kind of dominate the political landscape, and and, and that's not democratic. Yeah, but if if uh, the public's paying for it, does that put an extra onus, in your opinion, on the parties to not 
misuse that by by trying to put out messages and basically get away with a short-run campaign that they can't be held accountable for because of the nature and form of this platform, specifically it, Facebook. Yes, it's interesting. I mean, that would be, I guess, a question for there's, there's a just, the Justice Select Committee. I think they're on their, their very long-run, very troubled um, uh, inquiry into the last election. That would be an, an interesting question for them to get into on this. I would want to leave it to Parliament to decide whether they can kind of legislate how parties should use that money. Uh, I, I think one of the tr- tricky things there is that parties could probably say, oh, no, no, we were spending our donor money on the Facebook stuff. We, we were, you know, the, the public money all went to the very, very traditional campaigns. That was Henry Cook, a political reporter for Stuff in the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Well, as Henry mentioned there, the outfit that deals with complaints about election advertising in the non-broadcast media is the Advertising Standards Authority. For the last election, the ASA ran a fast-track process during the campaign period which required a response from the advertiser and any other relevant party within 24 hours of a complaint being received. Most of those complaints, the ASA says, were settled within three or four days and the authority told MediaWatch this week that arrangements for next year's election have yet to be determined. Meanwhile, Parliament's Justice and Electoral Select Committee is still running an official inquiry into the 2017 election. Earlier this year it asked for submissions on how New Zealand can protect its democracy from inappropriate foreign interference, including the risk that political social media campaigns could be driven by what it called external entities. In its submission, the GCSB said it found no evidence of that in 2017, but it noted that New Zealanders online are highly likely to encounter international disinformation campaigns. This would most likely impact, says the GCSB, on domestic debates fuelled by distrust of authority and facts. Clearly something to keep an eye out for in 2020.